welcome back to the Recovery Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Miller. I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic and stroke survivor. Today, our topic is both personal and seems to be universally challenging. So this is the journey of carrying a relationship through the process of getting sober. And really, our partners, our significant others, um, they are the ones who witness our transformation on the front lines, right? They're the ones who are, I think, the most affected uh, outside of ourselves uh, by this, this just extreme shift in our lives. So I want to talk a little bit about that, about that shift and, um, and how, how it was for me. So in the early days of sobriety, the shift in dynamics felt kind of like Like, imagine you've been walking the same route uh, down the street to the local cafe every day for years, and it's like as natural as breathing. You're not even thinking about it. You're thinking about whatever you have to do that day, and it's just a seamless part of your day. Um, Then one day, you're walking on that same trip, and then... All of a sudden, <laughs> there's like a unexpectedly a newly installed uneven sidewalk, and you're not looking at the ground because you're so used to um, just walking that route. So you just uh, trip over the sidewalk and you fall flat on your face, and you're like, "What just happened? What is happening?" Um, this is kind of like how I would equate this getting sober, you know, you're really looking inward, like uh, constantly thinking about not picking up a drink, you know, you're really trying to figure out how you're going to do this. You're not as much and you shouldn't be thinking about how is what I'm going to do going to affect the relationships around me. And I think that's really because when we're drinking heavily as an active alcoholic, we're very selfish. Um, We may not seem like we're selfish. I would have told you if you asked me before I got sober, are you a selfish person? I would have been like, hell no. Like, I am the most caring, thoughtful person you'll ever meet. That's what I thought. But the truth was, was that I was constantly changing my situations so that I could drink. I was hyper-focused on drinking. I was obsessed. How could I possibly be putting other people first when I was really putting my box of Vela Chardonnay first? So um, so in fact, I was not uh, the most uh, thoughtful person in the world, selfless person in the world. So, uh, so when I first got sober and my boyfriend and I went to lunch, there's this one image, a snapshot, right? My snapshot (laughs) of my boyfriend and I going to lunch in early sobriety. And 
I remember sitting across the table from him and I was thinking, um, he's, there's no way he's going to still love me after this. Like, I don't have anything to talk about. I'm not fun. Um, I'm boring without alcohol. And, um, I've probably pissed him off so much that he's not going to stay. Like, these were all the things that I was thinking. And it was very quiet during that, um, that lunch. And I don't, I still to this day haven't asked him, like, what he was thinking then. Probably because I don't want to know what he was thinking then. Um, but that was that feeling of, like, that's similar to walking down the street to the cafe year after year the same route and you don't even have to look at your feet you know you could look at your phone and walk the whole way because it's just you've done it so many times you're so comfortable with it and then one day all of a sudden they install a new sidewalk without telling you and you just trip and fall on your face like that's what I felt like when I was entering um this phase of my life chapter two I was entering chapter two of my life and looking at my relationship and being like wait a minute what what's going on you know this isn't this isn't what I'm used to and I don't know why it doesn't feel right um so my boyfriend has been a constant presence in my life for 17 years And he has stayed with me through the discomfort and the changes in me. I, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And I'm so grateful for it because I, everything changed in me. I I can't even, if there was a word that was stronger than the word everything, (laughs) it would be sufficient here. Everything changed in me from being a night owl to a morning person, from being very inactive um, in a general way. Like um, we would go out and do things, do activities together that were fun, but it would always be uh, with the end result would be having a beer or something like that, whether it's like, oh, we're going to go tubing well, we'll bring a, a cooler beer. We're going to go um, go ride our bikes. Well, we're going to ride our bikes to uh, a bar or something like that. So um, now it's like I'm just constantly moving um, and and doing, doing, doing. So I've changed a lot in that way. I've gone from not eating, I was very, very underweight before I got sober, to um, eating lots of snacks. I think I used to drive him crazy because I would never finish my plate. And um, and I was super underweight. But um, now I <laughs> just about lick my plate clean um, and have snacks. So um, going from underweight to being, well, we'll just say comfortably wiggly, (laughs) although I've lost weight again now, um, so I'm back down, but um, that is for different reasons because of my stroke, so um, I became hyper-focused on work 
as before I stopped drinking, I was trying to figure out how to drink while I was in my cubicle and I succeeded somehow. Um, I started running and I, you know, I used to run when I was in college and then there was another phase that I ran, but I was either drinking, no, usually hungover when I would run and it felt terrible. Um, well, when I got sober, I started running and I've talked about it a lot. It was really, um, an important part of my early sobriety. It was hands down the best thing I did for myself in early sobriety because it helped me get rid of that enormous amount of excess energy that I had. Um, I think one of the reasons why I'm, I'm constantly active and moving is because without that alcohol to like slow me down, which is part of what I was maybe subconsciously using it for when I was drinking. Um, without that, I just, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I can't stop. Uh, like I can't find enough things to do. I actually wake up in the morning and I have a list, like a mental list of stuff that I want to do to make sure that my whole day is filled. And if I don't complete everything on my list, that's fine. The list isn't about, um, this is the stuff I have to get done. This list is for, this is the stuff I can do today to stay busy. And in my stroke recovery, I have to make sure that it's good for my head, you know? So if I want to do some sewing, which is my new hobby, um, then I need to make sure, okay, after I sew, I need to listen to an audible book or something that doesn't require me to use my eyes. So that's the kind of thing that I do to make sure that, um, that I'm, that I'm still busy, you know, it's still important to me, but having exercise as a part of my day, it gets rid of some of that antsiness. And when I was first sober, I had a lot of that antsiness. So I, I literally went out, bought a pair of running shoes. I was not a big, a big uh, experienced runner or anything. So I, I looked it up on the internet, like, what is a way to start being a runner? I, I actually looked up, how do you run a 5k? Like, what's the best way to practice running a 5k? And I've talked about that a lot. And um, so that's what I did. I got from the point of not running at all to running like three or four 5ks a week. And it was just so good for me to be able to get all that energy out. Today, uh, post-stroke, I'm still challenged to try to figure out how to get that energy out of me. But um, I find ways. My, You know, my push-ups are, are, you'd think I have big, massive arms at this point, but I don't. Um, my push-ups and my planks, we're doing the plank challenge on the uh, podcast this month. So I find ways to do it, play with my dogs and stuff. So, um yeah. And then uh, more things have changed. I parented differently even. Um, so my daughter, so I have a son that's 26 and my daughter is 22 now. I can't believe that. But when she was in high school, 
um, her English teacher, she, she became very close to him. And um, they actually had a conversation about what it was like to live with me as an alcoholic. And they had concluded that she felt like she was my mother. Um, and, and then when I got sober, um, she actually approached me and said, why, why did you let my brother, her older brother, why did you let him drop the math class with the same horrible teacher, but you won't let me drop the math class with the, with the horrible teacher? And I said back to her, because there's a whole new sheriff in town, I said, um, you know, I was just a different parent. I was a different person. I was a better parent. Um, I grew values. I grew patience. And the list is never ending about how I changed. Um, what I you know, we learn in sobriety to not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on us. I wish to shut the door on it. And one of the things that I really, really still after seven and a half years am challenged not regretting is all the years with my children that I was not fully present because I was drinking. Um, I'll never get it back. And um, you know, enough said, I guess. Um, I'll never get it back. So, um, I've heard people say in sobriety that all you have to change is everything. And that is really poignant to me. Um, I've also heard that people say nothing changes if nothing changes. And, um, and that's just, you know, that's the honest, that's the truth of it, flat out. Nothing's going to change if you don't change. And what do you have to change? Everything. You can't pick and choose what you want to change. I call it turning off my wanter. It doesn't matter what I want. I've spent, I spent the first 42 years of my life drunk and only paying attention to what I want. And the second half of my life, I'm being of service, and I want to think about what my partner wants. I want to think about what my kids want, you know, and if the planets are aligned, um, it's also what I want. That's what ends up happening when I put down the drink. So the importance of staying busy uh, really became a cornerstone of my recovery. Now, this is a little different than the exercise. The exercise was to get the energy out of me. Um, the busyness was really to keep my mind occupied. Um, I particularly was uh, found hobbies using my hands to be most enjoyable because I was the kind of drinker that I was drinking 24-7 uh, in the end and I always had my glass of wine in my hand. I barely ever like put it on the table. I was always holding it uh, almost like a, like I did with my vape when I was vaping. When I quit smoking or yeah quit smoking and started vaping I used to hold the vape in my hand constantly. 
Uh, same kind of thing. So it was important to me to be doing something with my hands or else I was just, again, fidgety. I had a lot of that. So um, my favorite hobby that I did was flea market flipping. This not only kept my mind occupied, occupied, but it was really a cool representation of what I was doing as I was transformation, transformation forming <laughs> from um, my my brain starting to slow down. Um, I was transforming from a life of being drunk to a life of being sober, a life with no obvious purpose or value to having purpose and value. So taking that old furniture that was worth nothing and it was ugly and worn down and and barely served a purpose. I mean, one of the things that I that I rebuilt was a baby closet that had been left out in the rain for, I mean, I don't even know how long, years. It was like, it looked like it was rotted. And, and I don't know, I didn't know why it was still out, like as a thing to be sold. It looked like it needed to go in the dump, but I bought it anyway. Because I thought if I can give this thing new life, then um, that's going to be really rewarding. And that's what I did. I made it into a uh, a coffee bar. And I sanded the wood down so far that I got past any of the rotted wood. And it was beautiful underneath. Um, and it wasn't as rotted as I thought it would be because it had like a thick coat of paint around the outside so I just sanded off all of that paint and it was beautiful wood underneath so um, it was just it was the perfect hobby for me taking something that was had no purpose and no value and turning it into something uh, that that had purpose and value and given it new life it was um, it was really nice to to do that and the realization hit me really hard the first year about that about that you know they even stunk you know they even stunk um and they could have just been thrown in the dump but it was it really to me was what I realized was uh I was about to lose things that became infinite, infinitely more valuable than any glass of wine that I could have, right? What I was about to lose was more valuable than the drink. And, and that's when I began to have new life in me. And in the beginning, there was nothing really that I could say to my family, um, I, I don't remember making promises, really. I either did or I didn't. You know, I wasn't like, I swear I won't drink again. Um, I feel like I just either did or, or I didn't. Um, but, I, but I did lie. Um, when they would ask me if I had been drinking, I would say, no. You know, no, I haven't been drinking. Well, they knew, you know. Uh, they're not idiots. Um, so all that lying, like, why would they believe me if I said that I was getting sober, you know, or if I started to make promises to them. 
it uh it doesn't matter they're not listening you know they they don't want to hear anything they want to see it and um and this is what a living amends is so through the steps when we get to making an amends which is later on um not in the beginning but um this living amends is is like every time I do something helpful for anyone in my family, my partner, my um, my kids, my mom, my dad, my sister, my brother, anytime I do anything um, that that I'm trying to be helpful to them or be of service, I think to myself, I really do this. I think to myself, this is how much I love you. And thank you for sticking with me. Thank you for not leaving me. Because um, they they could have very well done that. I pissed everybody off. I did. Um, they didn't have to stay. I was bad enough off that I could have been just left to rot. Um, I don't think they would have done that. But they could have done that. Um, some people, that's that's what happens. You know, we end up losing everything. And, and again, that was um, when we get to that point where the things that we're going to lose are more important than the drink, that's when we can start really seriously getting sober. So sobriety isn't just about quitting drinking. It's about transforming how we live, how we interact, and how we cherish our relationships that matter the most to us. And the fear of losing those relationships, um, for me, it became a powerful motivator. Eventually, I was able to finally um, transform that fear of losing my relationships into an opportunity, in the case of my boyfriend, to rediscover each other. And today, my relationship with him is uh, something I've always wanted, uh, really, truly, um, but something that I just assumed was was other people's, you know, that I wasn't going to have that. It's like, it's a little bit of fairy tale. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It really is. It's, it feels that way. And um, it's the... It's the shit I used to like dream about to have somebody that that I was so close to like that. I, I really didn't believe that um, that my life would would roll out this way finally. So one of the harshest truths that I had to face was recognizing the total inability to form a true partnership with another human being while I was active in my alcoholism. It felt like I was, but I wasn't. And I only know that now because now I can see what it's like to have a relationship sober. Um, And I believe that anyone who's drinking, um, who has, who's an alcoholic, you know, is drinking alcoholically, would, wouldn't believe it until they see it. It's almost like people who are not alcoholics don't understand the thoughts of an alcoholic, that obsession with drinking. Well, as an alcoholic, 
we don't understand that our relationships aren't really true partnerships until we put down the drink and we live. We make the living amends and we keep walking through it and it just emerges out of out of what's ha- you know our sobriety. And the people that I loved most in my life were the ones that I hurt the most. That's the unfortunate truth as well. My unreasonable demands, um, it didn't feel like demands. Again, like my perspective of it was all wacko because I was drinking, but it turned my boyfriend and my children into caretakers of me rather than me being a partner and a mom I was really, they were taking care of me. And my daughter, uh, you know, that, that conversation that she had with her, with her teacher, like it, it just broke me. Uh, When I found out after I got sober that she felt like she was my mother. Um, It was terrible to hear that, but it was important to hear that. And, uh, and yeah, it just, it sucked, but, but it's critical also to recognize that my recovery could not and should not depend on my loved ones. I'm not getting sober for my boyfriend. I wasn't getting sober for my children for my mom, for anybody. I had to get sober for myself and for my relationship with my concept of my higher power because it's the two of us, me and my higher power, who know what's truly going on on the inside of me. And um, I cannot drink for somebody else, but I'm not going to be happy. I have to not drink for me. I have to be all in for me and my higher power. And I bring in my higher power because of that story that I've told you about being in San San Francisco when I was alone and I was thinking I could drink and nobody would know. Well, I would know and my uh, higher power would know. And that's when I solidified my this concept that I had of a higher power because I never had really a, a strong sense of religion in my life. So sobriety um, introduces also a whole new network of strangers into our lives, um, a, a fellowship, um, and this is where a sobriety program is important. Um, for our partners, though, the partners of alcoholics, this can be a source of concern and uh, confusion and worry because our partners, I've heard this a lot, and I think it's in a lot of the literature they think why couldn't have i why couldn't i have gotten her sober you know who are all these strangers that are helping her get sober why couldn't i do it why wasn't my love enough 
And why does she keep leaving and going to these meetings with other people? Like, why can't she stay home? She's sober now. Why isn't she staying home? And my boyfriend never said any of this stuff to me. I don't know if he thought it, but um, he certainly didn't say it to me. But I've heard of a lot of people going that go through that with their relationships. And these questions are very natural. It, uh, it happens to a lot of people. And it's, it's a part of the, the seismic shift in our relationships, um, what we do and how we act when we really start practicing a sobriety program. And when I talk about a sobriety program, I'm talking about Alcoholics Anonymous, but there are so many other sobriety programs out there that um, you can find one that that works for you. Um, But as sobriety took root for me, the perspective changed, I think. I, you know, I I don't know. I tried not to too much talk about my boyfriend. <laughs> he doesn't listen to this, but um, I don't like to do that to <laughs> put him on the spot. So um, I think when when partners think that all of that stuff, like why are they leaving the house to stay sober? Why shouldn't they be home more when they're sober? Um, as our partners start seeing how our lives are changing and like transforming, like our uh, vocabulary even changes, like everything changes. That's when they really start to, to go through another shift, which is, okay, whatever they're doing is working. And I like this, this side of her, you know, and, um, and that's kind of that living amends. It's it's similar to this idea of living amends. So the recognition of the pain that I caused to my family became clearer right about that time. And with it, the willingness to repair what was damaged and accept what I couldn't change. Um, and that's part of the steps. And the steps seem to be in an absolutely perfect order to be addressed at these different times that you're going through your growth in sobriety. So when you're getting to that point where you're like realizing, oh my gosh, I really hurt this person. Well, conveniently, (laughs) you get to your... um, your later steps where you get to talk to your sponsor about those feelings and then you get to put together a plan to make amends to those people. So that's pretty cool. It's magical. (laughs) It is magical. So the journey of sobriety, particularly in the context of a relationship, I think is nothing short of scary. You know, because it's just... I don't know if scary, it's uncertain, like you just don't know what's going to happen because you're almost restarting a relationship, rebuilding a relationship. And I think the number one is it's important to talk, 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 talk about your feelings with honesty, 
honesty, honesty, honesty. You can t- say all you want about how, oh, you know, me and uh, my boyfriend or my husband have an open relationship. We tell each other everything. I don't even want to hear it. <laughs> I really don't. It doesn't matter. Your relationship is going to change. Maybe that's what you had when you guys were drinking together or while you were drinking. Um, but your relationship is going to change. Um, it has to. It needs to. You want it to. And as long as you two talk through the change and you both change, one person can't change. You both have to change. You both have to talk. You both have to be honest. And then together, you're just going to carry the relationship through together with both of you holding on to it. And Al-Anon is also a great resource for our families and our partners if they need a little more education on um, thinking, like understanding how an alcoholic thinks and understanding how they need to focus on their own healing um, while while the alcoholic focuses on, on their healing. So eventually you'll learn about making amends, um, not just through words, but through the very way that we choose to live. And my relationship today, my relationships today um, with all of my family, all of my family is a testament to that. Um, these relationships are ones that, um, that I always wanted and I didn't know why I didn't have it. And it was because of me. Um, and, and now I have them. Um, I think that my relationship with my boyfriend, um, I never thought that would happen to me. I really didn't. I really didn't think I was going to get to have this. And, but I did. And it wasn't just a gift to me. Like, I mean, he was definitely a gift to me because (laughs) he just showed up in my life. But to keep him, I have to work on myself um, every single day. And by becoming the best version of me, my relationship has absolutely been blessed. And I don't usually use that blessed word. (laughs) So um, that's what I have for you today. So thanks for joining me on this episode. And this, um, this topic actually was uh, especially for a newcomer that I met today virtually. So, hey, out there, I hope that this uh, exceeded your expectations and you could hear a little bit more about my thoughts about um, how to carry your relationship through uh, to and through sobriety. So just remember that recovery isn't about uh, getting sober, uh, stopping drinking, you know, it's also rebuilding the foundation of our lives, including the relationships that define us and making every, you know, making a decision every morning 
um, we wake up to live a sober life. Every single morning, I wake up and I make the decision to go to my Alcoholics Anonymous meeting at 7 a.m. And that is really what, that's, that's all I need to get the momentum, you know, to get myself moving in uh, the direction of a sober, joyful day. And that's what, um, that's what AA does for me. It allows me to not drink and be happy. Um, there are folks that just don't drink. That's not good enough for me. I want to be sober and happy. And I need that. Um, I need that provided through uh, a program. So that's what I get out of AA. So until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you tomorrow.